The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods. I'm your host today, and we have a very lively show that I'm sure is going to stimulate a lot of thought um, amongst all of you that are listening or who download us later this week. Um, today, we're going to be talking about smart approaches to marijuana, um, and our guest is Dr. Kevin Sabat, who is the Director of Drug Policy Institute at the University of Florida and Assistant Professor in the College of Medicine, Department of Psychiatry. With Patrick J. Kennedy, he co-founded Project SAM, which stands for Smart Approaches to Marijuana. He is a policy consultant to domestic and international organizations and advises non-governmental organizations working to reduce drug abuse. He is an advisor to the United Nations and other multinational organizations. Dr. Sabat's blog is hosted on the Huffington Post, and he contributes to op-ed pages including the Washington Post, New York Times, Christian Science Monitor, the Los Angeles Times. Two op-eds earned him five best columns by The Atlantic. He is the winner of John P. McGovern Award for Drug Prevention given by the Institute for Behavioral and Health, and Robert DuPont, founding director of the National Institute and drug abuse. He received his PhD and MS from Oxford University as a Marshall Scholar and a BA in political science from the University of California, Berkeley. Um, I first saw or met Dr. Sabat last week at the National Conference on Addictive Disorders. And um, I think uh, what he has to share with all of us is very important, and it's information that is both timely and, um, as I said to him before we started, uh, there are some very hopeful approaches to what's going on with our um, legislation or decriminalization or criminalization of marijuana. So welcome, Dr. Sabat. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So where would you like to start? I mean, this is like a huge can of worms, um, that the whole legalization, decriminalization of marijuana, it's very polarizing. Um, we can't seem to find middle ground. Yeah, well, it, you know, there's a false dichotomy, um, out, you know, out there. And the false dichotomy says, you know, there's two ways to deal with marijuana, um, uh, you, you know, prohibition or, or I should say incarceration and criminalization for low-level use or, or legalization, as we're seeing sort of being introduced around the country in different states. And I think that is false. I think there are many, many more things we can do um, that don't fall into either of those trappings. Uh, look, we don't want to see people get their lives ruined with a criminal record for, for smoking marijuana. But we also, uh, I'm very worried, and this is why we started SAM, Smart Approaches to Marijuana, and you can um, learn more at learnaboutsam.org. Um, we started SAM with Congressman Patrick Kennedy, also Republican David Frum. It's really a bipartisan policy and prevention group to really raise awareness about the, the specter of what we would call big marijuana, like just like big tobacco. And we're seeing this new lobby group, big marijuana, um, start in all, you know, all around the country in various states and in our nation's capital. And this is a lobby that is acting very similarly to what the tobacco industry, how they acted. And we're very concerned about that. And we think it's, it's unfortunately, if there is going to be legalization, that inevitably there will be big, big marijuana. So we're trying to raise awareness about the harms of legalization. Obviously, there, it's already started in a few states, and we already have some very early but very troublesome, I would say, da- data from those states. Um, and, and I think it's, you know, we think about marijuana as kind of the hippie drug or the sort of counterculture. I would actually argue it's much more about the, you know, Yale MBAs and the people with the three-piece suits who have a multi-billion dollar business plan to get rich. Nothing to do with the hippies. Uh, and everything to do with, frankly, capitalism gone wild. 
and really what I would call a corporate free-for-all. They're, they're writing laws for themselves that the tobacco industry wouldn't have even dared to do. And I don't think most of us know about that. I think it's happening under our noses. So we, we started, Sam, to raise that awareness. So can you give an example of one of the laws or how this is different than big tobacco and what they're, quote-unquote, kind of getting away with? Sure. Well, one of the things Big Tobacco did for decades uh, before we kind of all figured it out uh, was obscure the science, and that is what the marijuana industry is doing. They're running around state capitals basically saying that marijuana is not, um, you know, is not uh, 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 really harmful. They're saying that actually it's something that is, um, you know, maybe good for you. It's actually medicine much more than it is anything else. Um, and, um, you know, they're, they're really talking very openly about how um, this is not bad for you at all and it's not addictive, when in reality, you know, there's no debate on this with, with scientists around the country. that This is something that, you know, medical professionals and scientists know that it is addictive and it can be, or at least for some people, we should say. Um, they're also going to state legislatures and lobbying very hard. They are, um, you know, for example, in Colorado, they are really pushing back against any kind of what would seem like reasonable regulation. Uh, that, you know, bans on advertising, they're defying those bans. There's billboards now, there's, there's radio ads, there's YouTube ads, all kinds of ads that are out there um, that they're really defying those. those. And it's just amazing because we've had bans on tobacco for decades. Uh, tobacco ads, but they're going beyond that. They're 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 you know ignoring those bans and applying them, not applying them to marijuana, and really acting with impunity around the country as they really try and make money. Because I think what people should realize is that you know this addictive industries, people don't make money in the addictive business among occasional users, right? They don't. They don't. The alcohol industry doesn't make money from the majority of Americans who actually drink regularly. They make money from the minority of Americans who drink very irresponsibly. And that is the same thing that the marijuana industry is doing. They are you know, working very hard to essentially increase heavy use, especially among young people, market with cookies and candies and all kinds of things that, are, that, are, that, that make kids you know, want, to, want to use them and try them. And it's frankly what, we, what we've seen with the tobacco, alcohol, and I would even argue pharmaceutical uh, and other industries is that they target people, especially when they're young, um, and hook them early, and um, then they have a lifelong customer. And, and we're seeing that happening. So when we talk about marijuana, we're talking about a plant, and, um, and we're talking about the mode of um, ingestion is, is smoking, and we know that smoking tobacco certainly has problems. Um, what are they saying about just smoking in general? I mean, isn't regardless of what you smoke, isn't it still um, harmful to your lungs? Oh, absolutely it is. Uh, absolutely. And, um, and so, you know, absolutely it is. And... You know, smoking lettuce, frankly, is bad for you. I mean, anything that you ingest in your lungs is bad for you. So, but they're also remember they're 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 pitching it in terms of vaporized um, marijuana that essentially is heated up, and you can't really control the heat, and that's also not good for you. They're they're doing it um, edibles where it's not smoked at all, and actually it metabolizes a lot later. So you eat something, and then ten minutes later you really feel the effects. So they're really, they're really pushing this in multiple ways that they can. So how did we get here? I mean, um, from something that was so taboo, I mean, you know, reefer madness goes back to, what, the 1930s right. when it really looked like, you know, this was like LSD on steroids. So how did we mm-hmm. get to where we are? Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned reefer madness because I think there was a counter-reaction to reefer madness, and, and I'm certainly not, not a fan of reefer madness and overstating the facts. Um, we, you know, so basically I think what people, that they had reefer madness, and then, you know, people thought, oh, everything the government says about, about marijuana is wrong, and it's all kind of based on racist policies and sort of scare tactics, and that hence the term reefer madness. Although there's an interesting history with reefer madness. That was never a government slogan. It was a church film, actually. Actually, that got out there. But anyhow, um, regardless, people kind of took it as a government thing, and then they, 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 um, you know, they worked very hard against it, and it went. The pendulum, I think, is swinging from that that extreme of reefer madness to the other extreme of you know uh, reefer harmless. And this is you know this is totally you know there's no harms with it at all. 
Um, and I, so I think it was almost, in many ways, a reaction. I also think that when you look at medical marijuana, that that had a big part in this. I mean, look, uh, you know, our group's position and my position as someone who's you know studied this for 20 years is that there's probably medical um, benefit to marijuana to the to the components within marijuana, and we should we should harness those benefits through like we do any medication, right, through the scientific process. Right. Not, not through popular vote. But frankly, if somebody has six months to live, I, I don't really care you know, what they use as long as they think it helps them. This is not about the terminally ill. The reality is, though, medical marijuana has really turned into an open joke. I mean, it's turned into you know, the 19-year-old with a headache in Los Angeles going to the bikini-clad woman and buying marijuana medically, apparently. You know? And it's just, it, it's really, it has not, it's not being treated as medicine. But I think what happened was this push for medical marijuana has given kids and others the idea, and not just kids, adults, that this is good for you. And how can something be bad for you if it's actually good for you? And um, this has been pushed all across the country. So I think the medical, you know, and, and even the legalization movement themselves, they said very openly that they wanted to use medical marijuana as a red herring to give marijuana a good name. And, I, and they've done that. And they've done that, you know, we've got to give them props. They've done it, for, you know, very effectively. Um, but I think that was also part of this as well. Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, the poppy, the poppy flower is where we get opium from, and um, this is probably not the best analogy. But you, you took that the poppies fields that we derive the opium from, which then we got morphine and other types of opiates from that are used. They're supposed to be used for pain management uh, over the short term, but now we're taking a plant, marijuana, that we really haven't done a lot of research on it. I know I, know I was talking to uh, Dr. Alan Green at Dartmouth, who was telling me there are 28 cannabinoids, of which we know about two, scientifically. Right. So, so we don't have the science, but we've got, seems like the horse is out of the barn in, in terms of understanding what the actual scientific benefits are to the different components of marijuana. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think, um, you know, I think what we need to, we need to really do is that, um, you know, is focus on, um, you know, doing the research because we actually absolutely need to do research on the components. And there are, remember, marijuana is a very complex plant, okay? There are hundreds of components in it. It's very, very complex. About a hundred of those components work on the brain. They're called cannabinoids. The other ones are called terpenes or flavonoids. And the cannabinoids, um, you know, one of them is THC, and that actually binds to receptors in the brain and, by the way, throughout the body to give you that sense of being high. Your body, by the way, produces a natural THC-like substance, uh, but this is a, you know, sort of unnatural sort of invasion onto that. That, that really makes you, you know, much more high than your, than your normal THC receptors would be used to uh, getting from, from natural sources. And so... Um, you know, there, but there are other components. There's components that could be helpful for seizures. Uh, we're learning about that. That's called CBD. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that we should, um, uh, I think we should really try and work, you know, we're really trying to work on that research, and, I, and we commend that. We think there should be more research done. But it should be treated like any medication, right, not voted upon, not based on a political, you know, wins. We should, vote. We should actually have the research done and done in a scientifically dispassionate manner to figure out what actually works. And we'll be right back after this commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. 
Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. What causes us to be sick? We're not talking about the actual illness or the scientific cause of illnesses. We're talking about your body and health. Listen for the healing whisper of Return to Peace. Each week, host Dr. Marianne Chase shows you how to listen to your heart to identify poor health, stress, and disease. You'll learn how to heal energetically and spiritually as well as physically. It's time to depend less on the drugs and more on the heart. The Healing Whisper airs live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and I hope you're enjoying our show today with Dr. Kevin Sabat, who co-founded SAM Smart Approaches to Marijuana with Congressman Patrick Kennedy, and he also is the author of Reefer Sanity, Seven Great Myths About Marijuana. So before we went to break, we were talking about um, research, and one of the, maybe this is a myth, but one of the things I've heard for a long time is that the federal government wouldn't let anybody do research on marijuana, which is why we we don't know as much about it. And then there's been this whole last week that they kept the class one uh, classification the DEA did for um, marijuana. So, what can you tell us about both of those issues? Yeah, well, I think there's been a, a bit of a myth out there that the feds haven't done anything on you know. Um, Marijuana because it's a Schedule One, you know, substance, and actually that's that's not really true. There's been a lot of research that has been done, um, and NIH has funded, um, you know, a lot of that, most of that research, and I, I think there are a couple hundred, I want to say, um, uh, researchers that have a Schedule One license that are able to to study marijuana, and there's been there's been a really the NIH has supported a broad portfolio, um, you know, looking at the whole marijuana plant, but really many of them, most of them I would say focusing on individual compounds as we talked about. Um, and by the way, these compounds can be isolated um, and purified or synthesized in a laboratory, depending on whether, you know, you're doing from laboratory synthesis, synthetic or, or natural. Um, there are many different kinds of cannabinoids that are out there, and, and there is, you know, there is considerable interest in these possible therapeutic, um, you know, possibilities. And, um, you know, there's been a good, I think NIH supported about almost 300 projects totaling about $111 million last year on cannabinoid research. Within within that investment, about $21 million looked at the therapeutic. So about, you know, a fifth of that on the therapeutic effects of cannabinoids and, and about $9 million on what I called CBD earlier, which is the uh, 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 cannabidiol. Um, that's not an not a huge amount. It's also not an inconsequential amount. It's definitely something that is that is out there. And um, you know, NIDA has done about half of that twenty million. But the other NIH institutes are also looking at them. And there's also a lot of research coming from cannabidiol. So, you know, I think there has been a lot of research. There, there, there will continue to be. Um, you know, right now the uh, the sort of supplier of marijuana for research comes from the University of Mississippi. Um, but the, the DEA has actually said, um, you know, we're going to open up and have more places to the University of Mississippi that does this, uh, that will allow additional growers to register with them and produce marijuana for research purposes. So that's brand new, by the way. That hasn't come to light yet. Uh, I mean, it's come to light, but it hasn't been implemented yet. Um, and uh, uh, so, you know, I think that um, that's good, and I think there should be more research done on it. 
Um, you know, sometimes people say you need to legalize in order to do the research, and obviously that's not true. We have plenty of things we haven't legalized that we do research on. And again, I think this is, this is an, a very interesting area that we should look into. So how does that work? Do they use the same plants that are used at the University of Mississippi? I mean, I grew up in upstate New York where they grow a lot of corn, but that corn is different than the corn they grow in New Hampshire or Illinois. Yeah, well, you know, it is different. They, they they use different strains, and they test to see what how much THC is in there, how much CBD, depending on what they want to study. Um, they're able to provide different strains. I think sometimes researchers want more, you know, want different, want even different strains than that. Um, but uh, you know, they 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 I think um, you know they 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 work pretty hard. University of Mississippi in growing different varieties for them. You know, you touched on in the first segment a little bit about um, people, you know, finding ways to make a lot of money from the legalization yeah. of marijuana. And can you explain how Wall Street has kind of lined this up in a way that is, um, you know, is, it's a tremendous marketing plan that they have. And I don't think people understand how sophisticated that whole business end of it is. No, it's been incredible. People, I don't think, realize at all. Because, again, we think of marijuana as the counterculture drug, not the drug that there would be, you know, that, you know, capitalists would, um, would, would, be, would be, you know, taking advantage of. And so, you know, I think that um, what, we, but what we have seen is that this has been huge. And so there have been different people, people like Peter Thiel of eBay, uh, the libertarian, who I think, I think he might have spoken at the Trump Convention. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, he's been a big supporter of this, and I would say Wall Street and Silicon Valley both are really kind of the culprits here. Um, and so he, you know, Peter Thiel uh, has been giving has been giving a lot to that as a, as a libertarian um, young guy. You know, he co-founded PayPal, so you know he he obviously is a smart guy, uh, but he's worth three billion dollars. You know, and he's been given a lot of this to um, you know to to the pro. Um, pro-marijuana people. Um, we also have seen uh, sort of Wall Street investment groups that were sort of, you know, not very, uh, we don't really, they're not household names like Peter Thiel might be, but they really are people that are forming private equity uh, funds to basically bring in what I would call dark money and, and bring in angel investors to, to come in and um, really, really, you know, put this um, put this in, put put money in there, and there have been just a lot of, um, you know, they 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 they've been a lot of a lot of buzz about this. Peter Thiel, his fund is called the Founders Fund, and it was the first. He's the first institutional investor to make an investment, um, and you know they got partner. He's got him. Jeff Lewis is is leading an effort to take what's called a minority stake in Privateer Holdings. Privateer is a company that owns. Leafly.com. They put a huge ad in the New York Times, and they basically Leafly is like a Yelp for marijuana. So they do marijuana reviews. Um, they also, by the way, control a Canadian uh, growing operation, which is huge, growing in Canada, named Tilray, uh, and and other cannabis ventures. So I mean, these things are these things are very big. Privateer wanted to raise fifty, or they did raise fifty six million of the seventy five million they tried to raise. Um, and they're unabashed about being sort of, you know, kind of the big marijuana. They don't, they don't mind it at all. Um, and, you know, the co-founder and CEO of Privateer said, you know, the, the federal government didn't step in. They could have. They didn't. And uh, we're taking a step forward. So it's been, it's been very, very interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they really they want to become the Starbucks of, of marijuana. That's what they, they want to do. And, and their team includes, you know, these Ivy League MBAs, who have come from Microsoft, Amazon, T-Mobile, um, you know, all of these kinds of people. And, um, you know, it's, it's very, very, very interesting. So we know in the treatment industry there's been a lot of private equity firms that are coming in and buying up treatment mm-hmm. programs. Are these the same private equity firms that are investing in marijuana, or are they different? No, my understanding is they're actually very different. Um, okay. And so, um, uh, no, they're, they're, they're going to be different people. Well, that's good. I'm glad to know they're just not feeding their own cycle of uh, care. Yeah. So when we think about why hasn't the federal government stepped in? Why have they allowed um, the advertising 
uh, that they won't allow for tobacco. I mean, how did this Well, happen? you know, what's interesting about tobacco is that it wasn't really a prohibition from the federal government because it's very hard to prohibit free commercial speech. So this is part of the, the, the problem here is that this is technically, you know, free speech. Commercial speech is free speech. And so the only reason we don't see tobacco billboards right now uh, or bus ads is because there was essentially a voluntary, voluntary ban, right? So the tobacco industry said, okay, okay, you know, uh, don't ban us, don't, you know, don't, don't fine us with more than you've already fined us. We're, we're going to write you a big check, you know, the Master Settlement Agreement of 1999. We're going to write a big check, and, in, and also we're going to abide by, you know, some conditions. And one of those conditions was no billboard advertising. So they're, they're just not doing it, right? It's, volu- it's not really against the law, um, or they didn't challenge the law, let's put it that way. Um, and so, in, you know, for marijuana, that hasn't been done yet. And so these people are pushing the limits. You know, even in states like Colorado, it's illegal to have billboards. Um, but they're doing it. They've done it. Let's just put they've done it in the past anyway. They don't, you know, and they, they sort of wait for the enforcement. Sometimes it's enforced. Sometimes it's not. Um, I, you know, on my Twitter uh, feed, if anybody wants to see it, my, my Twitter is at Kevin Sabet, which is just my first and last name together. Um, I posted, uh, somebody had emailed me a big picture of a huge billboard in Spokane, Washington with young people advertising a mar- marijuana company. It looked just like a tobacco ad from the 70s. I mean, it was just incredible. You know, ki- young people having fun, hanging out. And um, that's, a, that's a big deal. And, and, again, we're always told, oh, no, you know, you're, that's just reefer madness if you say that, there, you know, that there's going to be problems. But the reality is it's not. It's reality. I mean, the, this is exactly what we're seeing in other states happen. When there's legalization, these comp- you know, this industry goes wild. And um, I think it's something we should be very, very concerned about. So Colorado is uh, has legalized it. It's it's really a huge social experiment. What's happening yeah. in Colorado? Um, well, what's so interesting in Colorado is that first of all, they had promised to do all this data collection, and that hasn't really been done at all. So you know, there's sort of some piecemeal things that we can put together. You know, stuff that's already collected, like car crashes. Uh, where they test for marijuana, that's been collected for more than a decade. By the way, those have doubled uh, since legalization. Um, there, there's also things like, um, you know, what, what's gone on with the youth use, and um, the federal government's the only, uh, they have the only survey that does a sort of representative sample of the state, and that, in that survey, they found that Colorado is now number one in the country for youth marijuana use for the first time, and, and they never were, so here they are. Um, so they're finding all kinds of issues, and you know, again, this, it's an industry that's kind of really, really, really gone wild. Um, and I, you know, I think it's really, unfortunately, very, very disturbing. What are the people in Colorado doing? Is there any kind of backlash, or are they just kind question. of passively been, accepting yeah, it? There has been at the beginning of a backlash, actually. Uh, essentially, what has happened is. Um, the, first of all, the majority of localities have actually banned the sales of marijuana. So they don't, they don't want them. They don't want them there at all. Um, so they banned them. And then some communities like Pueblo, Colorado, and people can look this up, they have started, they want a campaign to actually kick the marijuana stores out. Um, so they'll allow kind of, you know, basically decriminalization, but they don't want to allow the retail stores because it's really changed the landscape of their community. And, um, you know, I think that that is very, you know, disturbing. And so, you know, what's so interesting is that people kind of in theory, they say, well, you know, maybe legalization will help our schools and help with tax revenue. And then when it comes down to it, they don't want them in their communities, actually. They, you know, they want them in, in the other community next door, not their backyard, because they see what the negative impact is of, you know, openly flouting, flaunting uh, marijuana and, it's, and all of its products. So it's been very interesting to see how that has, has basically, you know, again, three-quarters of the cities have said no, they don't want them at all. They, you know, they banned the sales. That, that is, I think that's pretty amazing. And the backlog, what Pueblo is doing for the first time is they're going to be the first community, um, if it passes, to actually kick the pot shops out of town. So though they're already there, right? It's not like they haven't come yet. They're already there. They're going to tell them to leave. They're going to ban them. Um, though they're at least going to try. That's obviously met with huge resistance from the industry who's really coming together to, to help you know, to stop this. 
And we'll be right back after this commercial break. Thanks. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuzo to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We are bombarded with information daily about happy life strategies, beauty products, and business success ideas. Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. Shelly will explore and recommend proven business ideas as well as show you how to use the law of attraction to create health, happiness, and a prosperous business. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour of Time. This is Mary Woods, and our guest today is Dr. Kevin Sabat, who is the Executive Director of Project SAM, Smart Approaches to Marijuana, which is a, an organization that he co-founded with Congressman Patrick Kennedy um, to be a policy consultant and to really try to inform people of a balanced approach to um, the whole issues around marijuana, and while we were doing our commercial break, um, I was asking about homelessness in Colorado, because when I met um, you last week, it just seemed like there were more young homeless people than what I'm used to seeing in Boston or other places that I've been. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, basically, you know, there's been a huge, frankly, influx of homeless, and there was a uh, Denver Post uh, report on this, actually. Um, and the, by the way, the Denver Post, I mean, they receive you know, money from the industry, and yet they, you know, even they um, basically have, have seen this. Um, and so, um, you know, and so, uh, you know, it's just been a huge, um, it's been a huge issue with the homeless because people think that, well, a lot of homeless kids have, have come to sort of, quote, unquote, the promised land. Um, and so, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's been, it's been just a big, big issue. And there have been a ton, you know, young people who see marijuana as an issue and, um, you know, they, they see this in Denver, especially as having a ton of it. Um, um, and you know, they go there. And so if you go, anybody goes down to 16th street mall, downtown Denver, they'll, they'll see a palpable difference from what they used to see in the past. Yeah. So, what are the smart approaches to marijuana? Well, I think that it's taking a nuanced approach, um, and I think it's saying, "All right, let's look at. We don't want to give somebody a criminal record for, um, uh, you, you know, uh, we, we we don't want to do it. 
um, you know, we well, basically we want to have a early intervention and prevention message. So a awareness campaign like we have had for tobacco. You know, frankly, we have such a big awareness campaign for tobacco. We have nothing for marijuana. We need an awareness campaign to be able to bring kids and, and basically, you know, and say, look, um, uh, this is a, this is an issue. Here's what the science says. Don't be fooled by the industry because they're, they're being fooled by an industry just like um, the um, you know just like the the tobacco industry has done for so long. Uh, and so that worked really with young people to get them to realize that smoking was really bad for them. We need that same kind of effort for young people in marijuana today. We also need to frankly have an education campaign towards parents. A lot of parents think this is the old Woodstock weed. They need to be educated that there is. There are, you know, frankly, this is not the Woodstock weed at all. This is much more harmful than it used to be. And, um, you know, we, we, should, we should push on that, really. For people that are using marijuana occasionally, not causing problems, I don't really want to mess with their lives. But for those that are driving, for those that are in public, for those that are going to work, for those that are around kids, for those that are really out there, if they keep getting caught for low-level amounts of marijuana, let's get them into treatment and early intervention. Let's see if there's a problem. Marijuana addiction is real, and we need to treat it like a real thing. You know, there's this you know, sort of misnomer that it's har- that it's harmless, uh, that it, that it's um, you know that it's that it's totally harmless and non-addictive, and obviously that's not true. So we want to be able to do that. Um, and I would have, like I said, earlier invention and treatment. I would definitely not advertise it. I would not allow for you know sort of mass retail sales or distribution. Um, you know, I would really have more focus on a treatment type message and really a public awareness message. I hear so many parents say, I'd rather have them smoking pot than drinking. That's incredible. Um, You know, that's another false dichotomy. I mean, the idea that kids are choosing between one or the other is is laughable. Um, They're often using both at the same time. Um, Yes, are there some kids that might choose maybe, but the data really shows among young people, especially college kids, among those folks, this is really something that is used... um, Concurrently, and so it's not. There's not. A, I would rather. That's like saying, you know, I would rather them jump off the fourth floor story window than the eighth floor story window. Um, you don't want them to do either one. I mean, there's no rather. They, they, we we have to prevent both, but realize that it's, it's totally unrealistic to think they're going to use one and not use the other, and and just say no to the other one. It's just that's just not realistic at all. But it just kind of says something to the to our as a culture. We just assume that kids are going to do one or the other. We just assume right. that um, that that this is safe. I mean, I have this argument with my son all the time, and you know, it, it they're entrenched in this belief that you know this is a lot safer than drinking. I mean, there, there's been no kind of campaign about anything about marijuana. You know, alcohol doesn't cause alcoholism. It, 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 if it did, everybody who drank would, would have it. And the same thing with marijuana. It's not going to affect everyone in an addictive manner. But for some people, this is going to be a road to hell for them. And yeah, people it, need it, to it understand um, that they need education, like you're saying. And who would provide that if the federal government doesn't do it? Yeah, I mean, we need governments they... to provide mass education just like we did for tobacco. There's no reason why they can't. Is there any will among the um, politicians to do this? Um, not, not, not really. I mean, that's the thing. We need to hear from people. We need there to be. We need, We want there to be. Right now, there isn't. Well, I know when um, Congressman Kennedy was in office, he was part of the um, part of the legislature that was really pushing for both mental health and addiction treatment and parity and. I mean, he and a few others were very strong voices toward that. And I don't know that we have any current legislators that are really understand the issues or feel that passionately about it. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, I think they're only going to be uh, passionate about it later when, when, the problem, when the problems really start to mount. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's just right now we might have to learn the hard way. Um, but, you know, we'll see. So what can people do? I mean, if you're going against big, like this big, well-oiled machine of capital, venture capitalists and, 
you know, marketing and, you know, really smart advertisers, what can the average person do? It's kind of a David and Goliath kind of thing. I think the average person, first of all, go on our website, learnaboutsam.org. There's a lot that they can do um, in terms of volunteering. We have, you know, things that can be done. Um, and, um, you know, I think that we, we, that's what one thing. The other thing that they could do is link up with your richer friends and help us uh, fundraise, frankly. We we're trying to desperately get out there and, and uh, learn about SAM.org is our website, how to get a hold of us. If you're interested in more on the political side, they can go to SAMAction.net. Um, but I think um, we just need as much help as possible. They can write their local officials about why they think this is a problem. We also have sample letters to the editor and you know, data that they can use so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, there are ways to actually work um, you know, together um, with us, and we have affiliates in you know, dozens and dozens of states. So there's a lot people can do from simply writing their letter to the editor, writing their local official that they care about this issue. They don't want to see another big tobacco. They want to push back against legalization. Um, it's important elected officials hear there are not, that legalization is not just a foregone conclusion and that not everybody just wants it. So that's, that, that would be great as well. Uh, if I remember correctly, you were talking about, I don't know whether it was Los Angeles or California, where in some of the, um, the inner city neighborhoods, uh, where this is being t- touted as the next best thing, they don't want marijuana in their neighborhoods. They don't want stores in their neighborhoods. Where was that that you were talking about? Well, I was, what I was saying is the majority of localities in Colorado um, are uh, against legal. You know, they, they've not allowed... Um, they have not allowed uh, uh, for retail sales. So they're voting against it. That's all over the state. That's, that's three-quarters of the localities. Even in California, where they've had medical, they've, they've had most cities have said they don't want the pot shops in their community. It's really, really interesting. Um, so there's kind of multiple things going on here. So um, in addition to you know, uh, fundraising and um, doing things locally, is there... Is there a conference coming up, or is there anything that... Well, uh, actually, April 20th, believe it or not, there's going to be a conference at the National Prescription Drug Summit. We're having a SAM summit that day. Um, They can go onto our website for more info and email us for that. They can always email us at info at learnaboutsam.org. We also speak all across the country, so people can contact us to see if we're going to be in their area or if they want to sponsor us to come and speak. We we do a lot of speaking engagements around the country. Um, At Next year's National Council on Addictions Conference, NCAT, and I didn't mm-hmm. announce this at the summit at the, at the last NCAT in Denver, and I should have. We're going to have a SAM day. Uh, I think either, I can't remember if it's at the beginning or the end of it, but we're going to have a SAM day at that summit, so that's going to be very good as well at that National NCAT conference. There's going to be multiple kind of things that we're going to be doing, and then there are multiple ways people can get involved. Um, I think it's really important. I think it's important for everybody to understand that we can still do something. This isn't a foregone conclusion. That's right. Yeah. And that right. on the they, other they, side... Really listen, the majority of people don't, you know, use marijuana. It's not like alcohol prohibition where the majority of us drank, so you couldn't prohibit it. The majority of people do not use marijuana regularly. And when it starts affecting them, we haven't even talked about the secondhand smoke effects and the environmental effects and all the other things. And when you live in an apartment building and you're... Kids are playing in the in the with on the swing set, you know, where the patios face, and then people on their patios are smoking marijuana, and your kids are inhaling that. I mean, I, I think this is going to start to affect people from every walk of life, and they're soon going to wake up and say, "This isn't really what we wanted." So, I definitely think there's a coming backlash here. And we'll be right back after this commercial. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned 
common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Do you find yourself caring for people in multiple generations? Are you exhausted, stressed, and overwhelmed? Instead of spending hours searching for resources and information, Dr. Merrill and her guests will provide you with practical, everyday information and solutions to help make your life easier. Tune in to Caught Between Generations, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everybody. Today, our, our guest is Dr. Kevin Sabat, who is the Executive Director of Smart Approaches to Marijuana, also Project SAM, and he co-founded this with uh, Congressman Patrick Kennedy. Um, so, where does, like, um, the cartels and the drug world, the, the whole mafia kind of people, yeah. how do they benefit from legalization or do they? Well, they do. They hide behind, frankly, the legal specter, and they get, uh, you know, essentially a uh, free pass uh, with local governments. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, in reality, um, they, they can hide behind that. Um, you know, so uh, it's just uh, they are able to do that, and they're doing it in Colorado. There's evidence of that. I mean, there's been some reports on that, and, you know, there's the cartels have been involved in the medical marijuana business there as well. Um, so that's, it's a big problem um, because they can just hide under the – and then they also, you know, are dealing with other drugs too. I mean, there's this whole – Myth that we'll get rid of the cartels if we legalize marijuana and we get rid of the the you know sort of people who are who are the, the violence here. But in reality, they're dealing with so many other things, including you know heroin and cocaine, methamphetamine, etc. And it's a big, big, big problem. So it's you know it, it is way too simplistic to say, oh well, we just need to legalize marijuana and we'll be fine uh, with, with the with the cartels. In reality. Um, it's much more than that. They're dealing with, you know, human trafficking, immigration, um, you know, kidnapping, all these kinds of things. Um, and it's just been, it's, it's just a huge issue. And so they're not getting, you know, the kind of, um, you know, uh, they're just, they're not, they're not the, like going away because of the fact that legalization has started in Colorado. So um, election season is coming up, and I know there are some states that have um, legalization on the ballot. Um, can you tell us a little bit about those initiatives? Sure. Um, there's five initiatives, and uh, essentially, um, you know, they they are they there's Alaska, sorry, California, Arizona, Nevada, Massachusetts, and Maine, and uh, essentially. Um, uh, y- they're all different, but they're frankly they're all put in the put in the same kind of um, context. They're really there to help big marijuana, and um, uh, you know, uh, basically um, in California it would be a huge market for them, and they would essentially they would allow advertising in California if that one passes, um, um, and so. 
Um, you know, I think we're very worried about that. We're also very worried about the fact that, um, you know, in Nevada, the alcohol industry actually sat down with the medical marijuana industry in that state and worked with them, um, uh, you know, to come up with this initiative. And it was just, you know, so in, 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 in Nevada, if it passes, the alcohol industry gets first-to-market advantage. It's just crazy what they did there. Um, and so, you know, they also, by the way, would criminalize um, home cultivation if you live near a pot shop in Nevada. I mean, it's amazing. So uh, this is all about big business. It's not even about marijuana. It's just about money. Arizona is very similar. Um, the way they wrote it, it would allow advertising and really allow a lot of the edibles and the concentrates, which are we haven't talked about today, but the potency on some of these THC concentrates can be almost 99%. Um, Massachusetts and Maine, it's the same kind of thing. They voted, they've written it in a way that it, you know enriches the industry. It allows the industry to serve on these boards of making the rules. It's really just a, what I would call earlier, like I said, a corporate free for all, and um, you know it's a it's a big problem. So you know, I, luckily there's been some very good pushback. Um, and uh, there's been some big, big pushback against this, um, and uh, I think that um, you know I think that that we really need to see more people, more volunteers. Um, SamAction.net has all of the information about the ballot initiatives in the five states. Uh, which, again, are California, Arizona, Nevada, Massachusetts, and Maine. And people can learn about the initiatives there. They can read the whole text if they want. They can see our analysis. They can see our infographics. SamAction.net has all of them. Um, but we also need volunteers. We need people willing to you know, help us in the campaign, hit the campaign trails. Uh, we're up against a behemoth, this huge machine. But we have a lot going for us. First of all, Hispanics and Latinos are generally against marijuana legalization. They are going to be a huge voting bloc this time around for a lot of reasons related to the presidential election. Um, there's also polls in Massachusetts and Arizona show the no campaign way ahead there. People just are not ready for legalization in these states. Um, and so I, I'm optimistic. There's a lot that we, you know, more we can do, obviously, but I think that if we keep going and keep raising the awareness, we, you know, it will be very good. So, um, this, I mean, that sounds very promising. Um, we were also talking in the break, like, um, there's so much as treatment providers or, or people who see, who see what happens to some people with marijuana, we don't have a lot of information to counter the pro-marijuana that it's okay. Um, where can we go to get information Well, learnaboutsam.org has a ton of information. That's our SAM website, learnaboutsam.org. I've also written a book called Reefer Sanity, Seven Great Myths About Marijuana. That's available on Amazon. It's pretty cheap. Um, It goes through a lot of these myths that are out there on on on, on marijuana and its harms. So Reefer Sanity, Seven Great Myths About Marijuana. And then, of course, if you want to look for the, the initiatives, there's SamAction.net, which is more the political site that has that information. And how can people get in touch with you if they want to um, sponsor you coming yeah. to talk or any sure. questions? They can whatever. email me at Kevin at LearnAboutSam.org. That's Kevin at LearnAboutSam.org, and I'm be very happy to do that. I speak around the world, around the country. We all, you know, we have many other speakers for Sam that are all excellent, um, and we're really there to spread the information. Um, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. Is there any parting wisdom you want to leave with us? Um, just that this is not inevitable, and let's not make the same mistake as we did for so many years on tobacco. Um, let's really, we need people to push back, and I think we can, we can beat this. Thank you so much for um, being a guest with us today. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Oh, you, oh uh, it was it was a great hour, and I hope everybody great. has a great week and uh, and a nice long weekend. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.